Good evening, Clemson FCA. It feels good to be home, okay? This is a place that I called home for a while, and I actually have a degree. Um, I don't use it. We can talk about that later. But it's good to be back. Like, this is a place that brings back lots of memories. First of all, everything to that side of this highway is completely new and was not here, did not exist when I was here. <gasps> Thank you so much. You're so kind. Thank you for that. I'll use it. Um, so here's a couple of memories just like off the bat walking down here. Uh, first of all, I took engagement photos with my now wife in that garden right there and in this amphitheater. So that's cool, right? Somebody said, oh, just one is fine. Now, guys, I led with that one because it's, it's like the least fun one. We're married and that's great, but pictures, who cares? Hey, so if you walk around the pond, if you left the library, like where they're going right now, if you walk this side of the pond, we were there one time, me and my friend David Bleckley, we were walking from the library and the squirrels here, I don't know if they're still not okay, um, but they were not okay then. And they're always like in your business, right? So we're walking by and I didn't look beforehand, but it used to be above the like retaining wall over there. It's a bunch of monkey grass, right? Just tons of monkey grass. Don't know if it's still there or if you know what monkey grass looks like. And there's a squirrel digging to the bottom of it. So its tail is just sticking up out of the monkey grass like this, right? And I stopped David. I said, David, have you ever slapped a squirrel? And David said, no, people don't slap squirrels. I said, exactly. This is my chance. And I handed David my backpack, and he walked about 15 feet in front of me, and I slapped the snot out of the tail end of that squirrel. All right, and this squirrel went from directly down to directly up, right? Think about like a bottle rocket just going like this. It's like doing a full like 1080 in the air, lands, and it's gone forever, all right? So if you ever get the chance, do it, know it's possible, and it's fine. Second of all, I don't know the statute of limitations on things that happen here, and I think this is fine. I don't even know if it was illegal. But my sophomore year here, they had to drain this pond right here and do some stuff, and I rollerbladed in that bad boy for like two hours at 2 a.m. All my friends could skateboard, but I couldn't, but I had rollerblades, and we busted those bad boys out, and we were down there for a long time. This place becomes a part of you. I don't care if you're a freshman. I don't care if you're a third-year senior. This place becomes a part of you in being at Clemson University, and you know that already. There is something that goes with it that stays with you forever. It is a piece of your life, all right? I have my ring on. I saw a bunch of rings tonight. I have my ring on, and when I wear this thing, I will see on like Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m., the full distance of the dining room at Hardy's, a 107-year-old farmer who can barely walk will hawk eye this ring from across the place, and he'll say, what year did you graduate? And I'm like, how do you see this? How do you know what this is? They love it. It's their legacy. And they want to tell you when they were here and what they did and all of that. It becomes a part of you. And that's not even, I mean, that's in Spartanburg. So not that far away, but they, people see the ring, right? They know it and they know that that's a part of your life and they want to know about it. All right. I went to speak at a D now in Texas. And so I did the math on this earlier when I was with the leadership team. And there's a chance that if this girl exists and decided to go to college, she could be here tonight. So if you are here, then you should tell me that afterwards. And if not, but you're funny, you can probably get away with it because I don't remember what she looked like at all. So you can come tell me anyways, and then we'll post it on Instagram, and you'll be a liar, but it'll be fine. All right, so I'm speaking at this D-Now out in Texas. They have like four or five campuses. They all come together for this big student weekend. It's like 500 kids. So it's the first night I get up on stage. And it's part of what I'm doing. I'm just giving like a quick intro to myself. My name is Zach Williams. I have a wife. Her name is Kendall. I coach tennis. I work at a church. I'm going through this stuff, and I'm trying to rattle off some information real quick. And I was like, I know most of y'all are Texas A&M fans. Um, I actually graduated from Clemson University. 
And in this room of 500 teenagers that I've never in my life, all the way in Tyler, Texas, this 12-year-old girl, I mean, she was tiny. She stood up in a chair. The whole room is seated except for me on the stage, and now her in the chair, and she's making dead eye contact with me about halfway back through the crowd, and she says, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, see, and she goes through the whole cadence, and I have never been as flabbergasted on a stage as that moment when that 12-year-old girl stood up in her chair and did that. But it was part of her identity, and she's 12 years old because her parents went there. Her parents were alumni, and she said, she found me out, and she said, since I was born, my dad flies us all home for one home game every single year because it's a part of who they are. It's part of their family. And when I look at your lives, and I was thinking back when they asked me a couple months ago about teaching here, I was trying to think about when I was here, when I sat in this amphitheater, when I walked these sidewalks, when I sat in that stadium, when I was in these classrooms, I was like, Lord, what did I need to hear then? Give me that. Tell me what you want me to teach to them. And so tonight, we're going to talk about exactly that, some things that make up your identity. What you're doing here right now is finding identity. So a lot of you, like a lot of people, I don't know if you have friends like this, and if you don't have a friend like this, it might be you, you like... I know people who would go to college and they just change their name. And it wasn't like a nickname or shortening their name. It's just a brand new name. Like, I'm Rick now. I'm like, no, you're not David. You're David forever. You can't just do that. Or you got people who get here and they're like, they're going to be the thing. Like, I'm going to be the guy who wears 42 leather bracelets. Like, <laughs> people are going to be like, leather bracelet guy. Right? People try to do these new things. You find new groups. Sometimes you feel like people don't feel like they're accepted. They try to find a new group. They try to fit into the place that they didn't fit in when they were in high school. People are searching for their identity. And not only that, you are looking for your purpose. You are here to get a job, hopefully to get a degree, to move forward with your life and find purpose. And exactly where we find those things. So tonight, if you have a Bible and or if you have night vision on your eyeballs, then you can look at your Bible or I think it's going to be on the screen behind me, which I'll try to get out of the way of when I'm reading. Um, and I'm going to read a lot to you. And it's a story that if you've grown up in church, um, you might know a little bit about. And if not, that's fine. I'm going to tell you about it. So um, Jesus and his friends, his disciples, are traveling from one place to another. And they stop in this town named Sakaar. Um, and we're going to pick up right in chapter 4, verse 7. And it says, and I'm going to lean this way so I can actually see my Bible. Didn't think about that earlier. Does anyone have like a headlamp I could wear? All I wanted was just for one second was to see one beam on. I'm seeing phone flashlights. That's not headlights. It's a big difference. Anyway, sorry. Here we go. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Uh, and this time, not only do Jews not associate with Samaritans, uh, men do not talk to women in public, especially not if it's a Jew and Samaritan, but they don't talk to women in public anyways. So he's got two big, like, social faux pas going when he talks to this woman at the well from the jump. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew that the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give him will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So let's pause for a second. He's at this well. He asks for a drink of water. She says, how can you even talk to me? And then he says, listen, if you knew who you were talking to, the water you'd ask about. And he, she says, hey, you can't even get water. You don't even have a bucket, sir. Okay, this is a very deep well. What's your plan now? All right. And so then he says that anyone who drinks this living water will never thirst again. And at this point, she's asking all about this water because she is under the impression, Jackson Cole, she is under the impression that he is going to give her a cup of water that when she drinks it, she'll never be thirsty again. We got a row of baseball boys up there that I know pretty well. And every time I watch them even come to the dugout from standing in the outfield, they're getting a cup of water every single time. Not one of those single boys has found a cup yet that they drank the water and they're like, I'm good. I can play baseball, I can run, I can do sports, I can eat meals the rest of my life, and I'll never need to drink water again because I'm completely fulfilled by that. And that's what she thinks is happening right now. She's waiting for that cup of water. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So this is kind of like an argument between Jews and Gentiles at this point that she's bringing up. Can you can tell like she's curious. She has questions. This guy knows stuff. She wants to know what's going on with her life. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Because they have learned, don't question Jesus. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. This woman is at the well late in the afternoon, so in the hot of the day, and she is there by herself, which is against all cultural things, which would say that all of the women would go get all of the water for all of the things and the chores and the cooking and the things that they need to do that day. They go get that in the cool of the morning, so you're not walking around with all these basins or jars or jugs, <coughs> excuse me, of water in the middle of the hot sun and just frying while you do it. She is there because she has found her identity and her reputation. She has found her identity and her past mistakes. She has found her identity and the judgment of people around her, and she started to believe it. You see, we are all looking for something to forever satisfy us, to make us complete, to fulfill us. And Jesus is telling her right here, and I'm telling you right now, the only thing that can ever do that is Jesus Christ. So he calls her on it. He says, listen, I know you've had five. And you're living with another guy now. And that thing that you're trying to fill your life with, 
can only be done by me. I am him. I am he. And he's the Messiah. Some of you, honestly, might be sitting in this amphitheater tonight, and you have been trying to fill that void, that God-shaped hole in your heart. You've been trying to fill that with a relationship, too. You might not have had five husbands already because that's impressive at your age. But you might have had a lot of boyfriends or a lot of girlfriends or a lot of dates or a lot of flings or a lot of accidents. And over time, that's how you've started to define yourself because you feel like that's how other people define you. Some of you, it might be a sport that you chase forever. Some of you might be playing it now at the next level and you're still doing it. Some of you might have chased it forever and realized you weren't going to make the cut. And that's been a void in your life. Now you're trying to fill it with something else. You're trying to fill it with the next job, the amount of money, the perfect husband or wife, the perfect family, getting the perfect car, everything that you think will make you fulfilled and satisfied, but then it won't. My wife regularly sends me to Walmart because that's what wives do. It's usually about milk, all right? I'm going to be honest with you. We got three kids, and they're just leeches on those things, all right? And so it's usually about milk. But not too long ago, she sent me, and she sent me for laundry detergent. And I was like, sick, laundry detergent. She said, all we need is laundry detergent. I literally was doing a grocery pickup in the parking lot. They put $400, don't have kids, people. They put $400 worth of groceries in the back of my car. My wife calls and says, they didn't fill the laundry detergent. You can go in and get that. And so I go in, and I'm like, sick, laundry detergent, cars full of snacks, everything we could ever possibly need. I get the laundry detergent, I'm walking out, and there in that center aisle as you're going out, every light in Walmart went off. And a spotlight, much like this one that's been blinding me for the last five minutes, shone out of nowhere, and I heard a choir of angels singing, and this box of chocolate fudge Pop-Tarts levitated in the air, and the entire choir said, buy me. And I did. Because if you hear choir angels, you better listen to it, right? Um, I also told my wife that. She didn't really go for it. But I got home, and I dropped those bad boys in the toaster for two and a half minutes, right between the two and the three. That's where you want it, right? That means you don't have to wait quite as long to eat it. It's not burnt. It's not crunchy. But the inside melts. It's perfect. Fat, fat pint glass of milk, right? I go sit in my recliner, and I crush those things. And I was so ultimately fulfilled for about three minutes. And then that box sat there. It's still sitting there with chocolate fudge Pop-Tarts in it. The angels are no longer singing over it. But that's what I wanted in that moment. And there's so many things in your life when I was your age that I would try to fill that gap, that I would try to fulfill my life, that I would try to replace the only thing that could actually fill that with. And then when I started to mess up a lot, and it was clear that I was messing up and I was making mistakes, then that's how I began to identify myself too. And I'm here to tell you that Jesus wipes away all those things. Your identity, if you're a believer in Christ, is now found completely and totally in him. No matter what it is you're doing, no matter what team you're on, no matter what class you're in, no matter what major you're in, no matter what family you come from, no matter what job you want, no matter what mistakes you have made in the past, Jesus is that for you. I love that the Bible says she leaves her jar and she runs back to the town. She leaves that thing just like she leaves her shame and her sin and her regret in her past. She leaves it right there at the feet of Jesus, and she runs directly into the town of people who have been judging her that she's trying to hide away from. She runs straight to them and tells them about this radical encounter that she had with the Savior. 
And I'm telling you tonight, that is an option for you to leave that here tonight, knowing that your identity is fully found in Christ. And here's a big thing I want you to know. If you are listening to this and you've started messing up, but you are a believer, I've had to find that identity again many times because the enemy starts to creep into your mind or you hear other people, you hear what people are saying about you. And it's okay to be a believer and need to find that identity again. And that might be you tonight. When you find that identity, you have to move clearly into your purpose. When we look at our purpose, uh, we go right past that. So we're picking up right where we left off, except about eight pages turning in the wind. I found it on verse 31. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said, first of all, if I'm a disciple, I'm like, Jesus got secret heaven snacks in his robe. He's saying, I got stuff you don't know about? What do you think those chocolate fudge pop tarts are? I'm sorry. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Again, they're asking each other. They're not asking Jesus. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of that labor. He says the fields are ripe for harvest for eternal life. And he's saying that to you today, that your field that you are in currently. Okay, because we are all in different fields. All right? It tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off any hindrance and all sin that so easily entangles us and run the race marked out for us. My race marked out before me and your race marked out before you are completely different. Some of ours may look similar in some way, but they're never going to be the same because we're different people who live different lives. And our job is to do that and to do it well. So he says, we run this race to throw off any hindrances. So we're going to cover two hindrances real quick that I think were an issue for me when I was your age and I was not in the field. I was not planting seeds and I was not reaping any sort of harvest. I was a Christian and I was like the definition of the word stagnant, doing absolutely nothing for my father or for his kingdom as a believer. And so here's a couple of things I think can get in the way of that that I want to look at for a second tonight. One is this. You can't assume that everybody knows. Have you ever assumed that someone knows something and then found out that they don't? And you're like, what? How could you say this to me? How could you not know this? This is impossible. That's my life regularly, okay? I got, I think a picture, it's going to be like, Small for some of y'all. Do I got a family picture? We can boo-boo. Look how tiny. It's like a wallet size for y'all right now. Okay, this is my family. I'm going to try. I'm going to go. I'm going to venture into the darkness for a second, Miles. Don't yell at me. Be nice up there. Told me I look like a, a video game character you haven't unlocked yet when I go over here. Anyways, this is my family. So, like, uh, that's my beautiful wife, by the way. Ladies and gentlemen, I got a degree here that I have never used in any way, but I also met my wife here, so keep going to FCA. All right? Next to her, the one almost as tall as her, that is my giant-headed son, Tate. He is 10 and a half. 
He's incredible, the biggest heart that you've ever seen on a kid. Um, he talks like he's 15, and he keeps other two in line. Then is my daughter, Reese. She is eight years old, and she's absolutely perfect in every way, except she has, like, the craziest attitude you've ever seen. Other than that, she's perfect in every way. And then there's Titus, okay? When you're raising kids, there's certain things when you start, like when you have babies, that you have to know that they don't know, okay? Like sticking your hand in that toaster while the Pop-Tarts are in there, burn you bad. They don't know that. And I realized that when I had babies, like going over a balcony, not good. Baby doesn't know that I do. But as they get older, you start to find these things that like, oh, I was assuming that they knew that. And apparently they don't. Here's one for you with Reese. This is just a bonus one. Uh, some friends of ours got pregnant and they told us at lunch, they're like, we got pregnant. I'm way, way. Okay. We're all excited. And we walk outside the Mexican restaurant and Kendall's like, I'm, again, congratulations. That's my wife. She's telling me, I'm so excited for y'all. And then my friend Chandler says, yeah, we weren't really that shocked. We've been trying for a few months. And we get in the car after that. And as soon as we shut the doors, Reese says, hey, what did Chandler mean when he said, they've been trying for a few months? And I said, well, we're going to drop you off at Chandler's house, and Chandler can talk to you about that. He's a medical professional anyways. That would be great. But here's another one that I'm not assuming. So Titus up there, Titus is absolutely buck wild. Do I think we have another picture of Titus? Look at this grin. Look at how cute he is. That's because the devil's hiding behind that, and he wants to fool you. Go to the next picture of Titus. Look at him. Go to the next picture of Titus. Hey, finger guns. Go to the next picture of Titus just laying in the field. This is family photo shoots with this kid. So picture that cute face, and now picture me leaving a basketball game where I have coached kids, my oldest son, and we are literally in the student building where I am the student pastor, and me and my buddy are leaving to go somewhere else for lunch. Kendall and the kids and his wife and kids are going somewhere else, so I'm just telling them bye. Here we are in the middle of the student building. There's people all around. Son has an iPad under one arm, a stuffed dinosaur on the other arm, and I said, all right, buddy, I love you. I'll see you later. And he said, see you later, Frank. <laughs> Here's an important note to this story. He did not say Frank. He said a four-letter F word that I am not permitted to use in this microphone. And so he said, see you later, Frank. And I said, what was that? He said, see you later, Frank. And I got down. I was like, hey, just like one more time for me. He said, see you later, Frank. And I was like, he's going to prison. This is our future. And then like, I couldn't stop it on my own. I said, Kendall, 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 Kendall. Watch this. I said, and you got to trick him because if he thought he was in trouble, he wouldn't do it again. So I was like, Titus, tell your mom what you said again, which is probably bad on my part. And he says, see you later, Frank. 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 And I'm just like, <laughs> you can't do that. So my wife said, what, um, son, what are you saying? He says it again. And she's like, what are you talking about? And he said, that's when I named my new pet dinosaur. He had no clue what it was, but now he knows it's funny, which isn't good. And I said, she tried to tell him it's a bad word. She tried to tell him, she tried to tell him he wasn't getting it. And finally, I said, son, if you say that word again, it's not going to end well for you. And he said, yes, sir, maybe I'll call him Jimmy. And I was like, yeah, perfect. 
Let's go with Jimmy the dinosaur. But here I am assuming that my kids, he's the youngest of them, know that you probably shouldn't shout the F word, especially not in front of your parents, especially not in front of a bunch of people from the church, especially not in our student building in front of your pastor dad. But he didn't know that. And I walked this place, this very place as a believer, assuming because here I am in the Bible Belt, because it's one of the biggest FCAs in the country as far as I know, because so many people are believers and there's churches on every corner that everyone has heard the good news of the gospel. So if you were in my marked out path, you weren't going to see nothing. You weren't going to see anything because I assume people know, or I assume there's so many other believers here, if they need to hear it, somebody else will tell them. But you have a race marked out before you that looks different than mine. You have a set path that the Lord has put before you where you are to glorify him and honor him. I don't have a bunch of like points for you to put in, but I would love for you to write this down or type it in your phone or make it your background. Is this. Just something to try to live by. Everyone in my path should be on an inevitable collision course with a representation of the gospel. Everyone in my path should be on an inevitable collision course with a representation of the gospel. That's every roommate you have. That's every family member that you have. That's every person at every restaurant that you go to. That's every professor. That's every classmate. They should see some form of grace and forgiveness and just genuine love out of you that makes them question why you're like that and inevitably could lead them to Jesus in the end. Because you are called, even if you don't feel like that's going out and delivering the gospel, being like a missionary in Uganda, you are planting seeds. And there's a season for sowing, and there's a season for reaping, and we're in it together. So we all rejoice together when people come to the Lord. The next thing I think can be a problem is a comparison trap. Their life, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, their relationship, their car, their team, all these things. It becomes a comparison trap. And y'all are living in an age that's the easiest place ever to live in a comparison trap because of social media. Listen, it doesn't get easier when you become an adult. I thought it'd be easy, like, I'll get a wife, I'll get kids, I'll get a house. But dang, I sure didn't get his house. That thing's got two stories. And then they got cars. And they go on vacations. Why are you in Dubai in March? Get off my Facebook. And there's this whole new level, and you can get stuck in things like that, all right? But I want you to look at this. I think we got a screenshot of my Instagram up here. Y'all can't see it because, like, it's very tiny, and I would have, like, like, zoomed in a little bit. That's mine. I have 1,799 followers, and I don't know if that's good or bad for a 37-year-old man, but I'm here to say I got him, okay? Go ahead and go to that next one. This is a guy named Jonathan Pakluda. Okay, he may or may not have fallen victim to flood here last week. And he has 151,000 followers. So it's, sometimes it's kind of tough when they call me and they're like, hey, we want you to speak at FCA. We'd love it if you could come. You could do this week, this week, this week. If you do this week, you get the amphitheater. But you have to follow all 151,000 followers, one of the biggest podcasts in the freaking country right now, and everybody loves them, Pakluda. And I was like put me down. And I'm here, right? It'd be easy to get caught in that game. But guess what? He could get caught in that game too. Go to the next one. This is, it's Doug the Pug. Doug the Pug has 3.6 million followers. Doug the Pug does not have opposable thumbs, and if he wants to fly, he has to wear a diaper. 
There is always going to be something bigger and better that you can compare to. But let me tell you what Jesus says about that in John 21. Peter comes in and he's reinstating Peter. And Peter says, Lord, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? He tells him. And then Jesus alludes to how he's going to die. And after Jesus tells him, this is what that's going to look like, Peter turns around and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he said, but what about, what about him? What about him? And Jesus says, what is that to you? Follow me. What is that to you? Follow me. What is that to you? Follow me. And if I could convince myself, I told them earlier when I was meeting with leadership and some of those guys, I want that tattooed on my forearm. What is that to you? Follow me, Jesus. Because every day you're confronted with all these things to compare your life to, and it doesn't matter because the life is marked out for you. When I stand before the Lord, he will not ask me how good a job I did of running Jonathan Pekluda's race. Well, how'd you do? Not senior pastoring his church. How'd you do not having, gosh, one 150th of his followers? How'd you do in that race? I was never in it. And you're comparing yourself to people who you're never in it. You have a race specifically set out for you, and that's what you're supposed to run. You can't worry about anything else. If you feel like you are seeking out the Father and his will for your life, and he is ordaining your steps in front of you, and you're seeking him in that, then you're running the race as good as you can. The same way I know, despite 151,000 followers, Jonathan McClude is not going to get to heaven and stand in front of the Lord, and he's going to be like, well, hey, how'd you do with... Uh, Zach's wife, Kendall, and uh, Tate and Reese and that little monster I gave him, Titus. How'd you, how'd you do in that? Because that's not his race, it's mine. And every soul is just as important. Do we have any philosophy majors here? I'll be honest, if you raise your hand, I can't see anything, so don't do it. I'm going to quote a great philosopher here. I think we're going to have it on the screen. His name's MC Hammer. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of him. And he tweeted this one time. When you measure, include the measurer. When you measure, include the measurer. When I was here, I had a history degree, okay? My senior year, my senior thesis, I wrote a 37-page paper on the difference in sharecropping and tenant farming in the state of South Carolina during the Great Depression. If you want to read it, let me know. If I turn that in, if you went and took your senior thesis, your senior project, and you take it and you hand it to your professor, the head of your department, and then he handed it to my delinquent Titus, and Titus said, this is buns. You don't care what Titus thinks about that. He knows nothing about whatever program you're in. Unless you are in a Fortnite major right now, he knows nothing. But you don't care because when you're looking at that measurement of it being terrible, Look at the measure. He doesn't know anything. When you think about what other people think about your life, your friends, your roommates, your parents, you need to think about the measure of your life in the end. The well done, my good and faithful servant. That is the only measure that matters in your life. That is it. So when you're seeking him out in those things, you seek to live for him no matter what it looks like, no matter what other people think. 
even if it makes you awkward, even if you feel like it's not right in the eyes of all of your roommates or your parents don't like your decision to get a pre-law history degree and then graduate and go into ministry. Which, by the way, my parents are perfect for me being in ministry. It's just dad paid for me to go here, and he was not pumped. Think about the measurer. Other people, what does it matter to you? Follow him. What they think about your life, how it's stacking up, where you're at, two years out of high school, three years out of high school, four years out of high school, 40 years old with a family and what you're doing. The only person that matters is the measurer that you're looking to ultimately, which is your father. The only one who can fulfill you in the first place. Real quick, and then I'm going to wrap up with one last thing. We're going to keep going because this passage is just incredible and gives us all the things. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the savior of the world. And what I just want to make sure you guys know at the end is this. Knowing about him is not enough. Knowing about him, being able to pass a test about him is not enough. Actually knowing him, having that personal relationship, realizing that he is the only thing that could possibly fulfill your life. Acknowledging that he is the perfect son of God who came and walked and lived a sinless life and then he was killed on a cross and three days later raised up specifically for you and for me and every other person. Until you really know him like that, it's not enough to know about him. It's not enough that your grandparents know about him, your parents know about him, that you've never missed a mission trip or you've been to every single FCA. It's not enough that you try not to sin anyways. You have to know that he is your personal Lord and Savior. That's the only thing that will ever complete you. It's the only thing that will ever give you a true identity. It's the only thing that will ever give you a purpose to walk this earth. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the lack of rain on our heads currently, Lord. And we thank you for a chance to meet in this place and seek you out and worship your name, Lord. I thank you for this body of young adults who gathered here and just to stand in the corner and listen to them worship and praise your name in the dead center of their campus, the dead center of this life and their identity right now. It's incredible, Lord, and I'm thankful for that. God, I pray tonight for the students who have been finding their identity in something else, that they feel like they have had everything go wrong, that they feel like where they come from, where they've messed up, the sins that they've fallen into, the sins that they were into tonight before they even came here, Lord, the things that have been holding them down, making them depressed, causing anxiety, causing them to act out in other ways so that people will like them or feel better about who they are. God, I pray you wipe away those things tonight. And like that woman left that pot right there at the well at his feet, Lord, I pray that there are people who walk away feeling free tonight. Not just feeling free, Lord, knowing that they identify with you and now they have a purpose to move forward in. That you've given each of us a field to work in that looks different than the other persons. You have marked out a race for each and every single one of us. And you want us to just walk and talk with you in that, God so that we can further your name and further your kingdom and see this campus transformed. 
God, I pray that you show these students intentional steps tonight, what it looks like to move forward. I pray that you show these students how to put other people and other things behind them. Knowing what does that matter, Lord? You're just asking us to follow you. God, we pray tonight that there's not just people in here who could pass a quiz or know some trivia about the Bible or know what others believe and follow along. God, we pray that every person in this amphitheater tonight has an intimate, growing relationship with you, acknowledging you as their only Savior, as their only hope, as their only purpose in this life. No matter what they carried in here, God, I pray that those people will have a boldness to move tonight. There's going to be people lined up uh, with some glow bands and things on, and they would love to talk to you. They would love to answer questions for you. They would love to pray for you. They would love to celebrate with you that tonight's the night you're leaving it all behind. Or tonight is the night that you are recognizing Jesus as your only option. And you want to celebrate with a ton of your closest friends in an amphitheater in the middle of your college. What a cool place to see that transformation. When I finish praying, we're going to continue in worship and you guys are going to stand. But if you want to move, if you want to grab a friend's hand and move, do that. If you want to kneel down where you are and you want to leave something tonight, whatever that shame is, whatever that regret is, whatever that identity is, whatever that thing is you've been trying to fill out a hole in your life with, and you want to leave it here in this amphitheater tonight, get down and do some business with God and just leave it here. I would love for you to walk by this amphitheater tomorrow and laugh at it because it's not holding you down anymore because you have found life and purpose and the only one who can give it is Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this band. I thank you for this team that puts us together. I thank you for each and every one of these students giving up their time tonight to come worship you and praise your name and dig into your word, God. And I pray for every student who just needs to get in their heart and work with you, Lord, that you just give them a boldness to grab a friend, to go talk to somebody on the side, Lord, to ask the questions, to get things right with you. We thank you for who you are and everything that you bless us with. Amen.